And now, The Low Post. Welcome to an unexpected Friday Low Post podcast because I had to talk about the Nuggets-Lakers series after what I thought was a really interesting and maybe telling Denver come from behind and then hold on for dear life who are throwing the ball all over the gym. Oh my God, LeBron missed another layup. Game two win to go up two games to none, taking care of business at home, heading to LA for the weekend games. And uh, the Lakers are going to have to win both of these, I think. Oh, young Masuk, you were on the scene in Denver. You're going to head back to your hometown in Los Angeles. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. Doing good. Late, very late night last night. Zach. I cannot remember ever seeing LeBron James blow a dunk like that. Never. I was, that might be the most stunning thing I've seen in the playoffs. Well, he blew a layup in the first half that he just short rimmed. Yeah, that I can, like, I don't know, the dunk. I mean, like to see, like, you know what he was going for. He was going to go for that reverse and to see it just fly out of his hands. And then at the end, yeah, that was a tough layup uh, that he missed. I But normally makeable for LeBron James, it was shocking to me. Yeah, so he had that one in the first half. That surprised me. He had, obviously, you know, we've seen, like, great players blow fast breaks. They drop the ball, whatever. That that also stood out because it doesn't happen to LeBron. And then, you know, the Nuggets, and ultimately, in a weird way, I'm almost encouraged by it. They, they, got, they, they got through their first case of the, whoa, we're here. We're here on the biggest stage. Uh, about to take a 2-0 lead, but it, it's getting tense, and we're actually not playing well, and this is new for us. Like The expectations are here. There's LeBron and AD, and he had that steal on the Jamal Murray lollipop that Jokic didn't come and get, and it was a great recovery by Aaron Gordon. You can see him time it, but great recovery aside, LeBron James makes that layup eight times out of ten at, at a minimum, and he didn't make it. And and then and then we had this whole the whole show this morning on Get Up was like Father Time has caught LeBron. LeBron's <laughs> old. Why wasn't LeBron able to bring it? He was 0 of six from three. He keeps missing all his threes. And I'm like, well, first of all, Le- LeBron is old. Like t- talking about how LeBron is old is is like talking about. I don't know, like the progress of everything in nature. He's old. Like, like we shouldn't expect him to be the same guy. He also just put up 22, 10, and 9 and guarded the freaking two-time MVP, who, by the way, is completely unguardable pretty freaking well for half the game, a third of the yeah. game, and got a bunch of deflections and strips late in the game to help the Lakers um come back and win it. I understand everyone's obsessed with LeBron and yeah, he's not the same guy. And boy, the fourth quarter, three pointers that got me. They, he played well enough to win. Like he played well enough for them to win the game. Yeah. I just think it's so jarring to see him a miss a dunk like that. Miss some lay, miss layups, uh, you know, settle for the threes, short rim, all of them. Um, you know, I, I, we just, he's been so good for so long that I think you just take it for granted. And when you start to see father time, creep up on him and it take his normal natural course is just still a little jarring doing that. I, by the way, Zach, I like LeBron James in the paint battling with Nikola Jokic. I liked every second of it. I like Darvin Ham trying all these different bodies on Nikola Jokic. You know, the problem is that uh, they just, they could not contain, I mean, it was just like a flurry. It was an avalanche in the fourth quarter. A three Murray point flurry. A Murray yeah. flurry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but just start, you can't like do the thing that people are doing where it's like you say all this stuff that you think 
I, not even that LeBron didn't do, but just like talking about time and shortcomings in the dunks. And then you like squeeze it in mid clause, like you know he did guard Nikola Jokic, and then you go back to the no, no, no. That's guarding Nikola Jokic is the most exhausting part of the whole thing, yeah. and no one else on his team could do it, and he did it pretty darn well. Okay, here's where we are. The Nuggets are up 2-0. They are plus 11 through two games. Two tight games. You want to have a moral victory parade for the Lakers? Go ahead. I don't think they're going to have a moral victory parade. Um, Couple notable numbers. The Nuggets have taken 16 more threes than the Lakers, and that's a huge reason why they're ahead. And I think the most eye-popping stat that people are not talking about because it's not a sexy talking point Denver is plus 26 in total rebounds, and the Lakers have nine offensive rebounds in two games. Yeah, and Jokic had six in the first quarter by himself in game one. And they just can't get any second chance points. They're actually shooting okay, largely, 73% at the rim and all that stuff. They just can't get any second chance points. Denver is dominating the glass. And here's broadly why I feel... It's hard for me to know if I'm biased because I picked the Nuggets in six, so I I, kind of want to feel good about the Nuggets. But I feel better than I would typically feel about a home team coming off two close wins for two reasons. Number one, the Lakers have played a lot of cards already in this series, and the Nuggets really haven't played any. The Lakers have already changed their starting lineup. I think they might change it again before game three. They've already played around with the matchups on Jokic from AD to, okay, let's turn AD into a roamer. Well, they'll put Rui on him, put LeBron on him. AD becoming a roamer is the big adjustment so far of the series. And LeBron also, and this is this was my big issue coming into the series, um, we've seen throughout the season and throughout the playoffs, we know how peak LeBron, apex LeBron, the guy that father time has come for, why isn't it mother time, by the way? <laughs> Why does the bad guy have to be father time? Oh, the mother time can't mother can't be the bad guy. It's got to be father time that comes after you. Father time. Uh, we know how that LeBron plays, and and it's it's when the when things get tough and things get bogged down, he likes to play mismatch basketball in the half court. And we've seen in every round, he's been able to just parcel that out using it only in case of emergency, in case of must-win game, in case like game six at home against the Warriors, got to win that game, let me take everybody to the weight room. Uh, Down by 18, the game's spinning out of our control. Okay, fine. I'll assert myself and see if I can drag us back into the game for a few possessions. And I said before the series, that's not going to be good enough against Denver. That's not to say he can go 2016 finals ever again. He can't. He's old. Spoiler alert, he's old. He's played the second most minutes of anyone in the history of the sport. But Denver represents a step up in competition, and they're going to need whatever of that he can give almost every game. And he gave a lot of it in game one. A lot. Um, These two games, he's run 58 pick and rolls total, according to Second Spectrum. They are the second and third most pick and rolls he's run in any game in the playoffs or a game one, a game one and two of this series. Only the play-in against Minnesota did he run more. A lot of those were against were aimed at Murray in game one to pretty to pretty good effect. And you saw last night, and the numbers back it up. There were less of them, and they only came really toward the end of the game when the Nuggets had taken a twelve point lead and he needed to drag them mm-hmm. back in the game. And that's when you saw LeBron Reeves 
pick and rolls. Reeves got some open threes out of it, or not even open threes. They were tough threes. LeBron got some bully ball out of it. And the fact that he's played about as much of that style of basketball as he can, and they've still lost, I think is a slight cause for concern. And I do think, as hokey as it sounds, I do think there's something to the Nuggets. That game felt like a moment for the Nuggets to me. It felt like a moment because they're down 10, 11, 12. The Lakers have that game in the mud. They have their offense in the mud. They still really haven't figured out the AD is Romer thing quite yet and how to exploit it, how to get their spacing right. It's all clunky and clogged, and Jokic is throwing the ball places. You don't normally see him throw the Mm -hmm. ball. And they rally, and they fight, and they win those minutes that Jokic rested very briefly in the fourth quarter with a 6-0 Murray Flurry on two threes. And then the stage gets real bright, and they're on the verge of the biggest win. I mean, maybe in franchise history, it's got to be up there. And they get a little tight. Michael Porter Jr. steps over the baseline. Whoopsie. Jokic throws the ball away again on another turnover. Whoopsie. Bruce Brown goes for the kill shot three, up seven, with 2.30 left in the game. And I'm watching the game on my TV, and I'm saying, ooh, just hold that one. You're up seven. You got the MVP on your team. I understand you're shooting well, Bruce Brown. Just hold it. Take your time. Lakers come down and score at the other end. And then, of course, they have the late turnover by Murray. And they survive it. They do just enough to win. And it feels like every team that gets further than they've ever been before has a game where it gets tight, where they kind of stare into the mirror and say, oh, my God, we're here. And they either fritter it away, the nerves fritter it away, or they survive it and win it and overcome it. And that maybe was that game for them last night. Zach, I kind of buy into Michael Malone's narrative that he is pounding down our throats that Everybody just wants to talk about the Lakers and not talk about the Nuggets. Game one, you know, look, they won the game. Nikola Jokic was unbelievable for three quarters. And everybody wanted to talk about, ooh, the Lakers found something with Rui Hachimura on Jokic. And they had all the momentum coming back in the fourth quarter. But, you know, you overlook the fact that when they cut a 21-point lead down to three, it would have been very easy for the Denver Nuggets or any other team to fold and just be like, what is going on here? LeBron James, Anthony Davis are coming at us, and this moment is too big. And what happens? Michael Porter Jr., of all people, dives on the floor to get that ball, and then starts a fast break, and they score, which might be the biggest, one of the biggest plays we will never talk about in franchise history for the Nuggets, because I don't know what happens if he doesn't get that loose ball. I don't know what happens if it doesn't squirt out and they get that fast break and they score and they push it back up to five. So they win that game. Michael Malone then is saying, hey, I find it amusing that you guys are all talking about the Lakers finding something. Fast forward to game two. Once again, now it looks like the Lakers are basically just muddling up this whole game, and it looks like they might pull this out. Even though AD is going to have AD's having a bad game, they still might pull it out. And they need, you know, Jamal Murray to be just electric in the fourth quarter. And you know, Nikola Jokic, I got to say this, he 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 has been amazing, but they he hasn't been as good as he was since the fourth quarter of game one. You know, they they've kind of just like I like there were there were turnovers that you just don't see from Nikola. You know what I mean? Like he throws one out to the I remember he threw one out to the right side. It was like the right baseline. And I think it was D'Angelo Russell that picked it off. And I remember turning to David Winner and I was like, you don't see that very often where Nikola Jokic doesn't see someone picking him off. Uh, but they won these two games 
just with grit. You know what I mean? Like they grinded out these games. These are the type of games they need to experience. If they're going to win a championship, they have to win these type of games. You can talk all you want about how old LeBron James looks or whatever. The Denver Nuggets have grinded these two games out. And I think it's just making them even more confident. And then after the game, Zach, all they talked about was the chip they have on their shoulder that they were like, you know what? When we beat the Clippers, everybody still talked about the Clippers falling apart. Nicola even said this, and he never says this. When we beat Utah and came back against them, everybody talked about Utah, not them. And he goes, but we don't care. You know what? But they do care, actually. I mean, that Michael Malone actually said this the other night. You could take this narrative and stuff it in your pipe and smoke it. So, look, I think they're going to go to L.A. They understand, as you already said, the talk is about how old LeBron James is and everything. Is not talk. The talk is not about how good the Denver Nuggets are. And then they know the talk for the next 24 hours is all going to be about how can the Lakers keep their championship hopes alive. I would like to say uh, Michael Malone's whole thing is wildly entertaining. Yes. And I, and I think he's kind of in on the entertainment. I also think he's half right. Half right. The whole discussion today, I was on Get Up for two hours. 90% of it was, I made a whole joke on the show of, we we were eight minutes into talking about the game before we mentioned the Nuggets and the fact that the Nuggets are good. So he's half right. But on NBA Today, that's a show on ESPN called N- NBA's in the title. If you like the NBA, you should watch it. After game one, we had a whole big breakdown on like how Jokic was breaking the Lakers defense, getting into the X's and O's of it. And I haven't checked our experts picks. I picked Nuggets in six. I believe like 11 of 17 or 12 of 18 picked the Nuggets. I also think that the media, I believe, um, votes on most valuable player and has the media that has ignored the Denver Nuggets and Nikola Jokic twice voted for Nikola Jokic as the most valuable player in the league to some controversy. So I think he's half right. I think he knows he's half right. And he likes to just sort of play this up a little bit for the theater of it. Well, look, he is correct about one thing. Last round, the Denver Nuggets are the number one seed, yet the Phoenix Suns were favored to not only win that series, but odds on favored to get out of the West and go to the NBA Finals. Everybody's talking about Devin Booker. Everybody's talking about Kevin Durant. And guess what? By the end of that series, Nikola Jokic was the best player, averaging a triple-double. The dude now has four four straight triple-doubles and five in his like six games, Zach. And the only game he did not have a triple-double, guess what? 53 and 11 assists. Like, he is amazing. You know, I was thinking about this the other night. I think someone had mentioned to me about the premise of like where Nikola Jokic ranks in the NBA of all time greatest passers. I'm not ready to. He is amazing passer. Amazing. I'm not ready to put him at that Magic Johnson, Jason Kidd level yet. Okay, like he is good with them, but I don't think he's better all time better than them. Okay, but I was wondering about this. Yeah, Oscar Robertson has more triple doubles, but and so does Russell Westbrook. But I think Nikola Jokic might be able to get triple doubles easier than anyone in the history of the NBA. Well, Will Will Chamberlain's up there, but his passing ability is unbelievable, right? He can score in a multitude of ways. Very easy. The rebounding, Zach, we just talked about this. It is shocking that Anthony Davis is like, can't like, the, the amount of rebounds, and especially like Nikola Jokic, the little thing where he does where he misses at the rim and then just taps it back in, taps it back in. The big tipper. It, nobody can stop it. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable how many, how many times Nikola Jokic gets that. And so I'm just like, 
going into the series, I felt Anthony Davis has to be the best big man in the series. He has to do it four times. And he can't, he, he hasn't been able to do it. And I don't think he can. Well, he did have 40 in game one. You know, it's, it's funny the way we do this. He was four of 15 last night, right? Okay. That's not good. Like you'd like to be seven of 15. If he's seven of 15, they might win the game. If Lonnie Walker or Dennis Schroeder or D'Angelo Russell did anything, they might win the game. But all the focus will be on AD. And it's, why is he so inconsistent? Ah! And it's like, well, his defense is not inconsistent. His, he's been the best defensive player in the playoffs the whole time. He may have had one B-minus game the whole playoffs. This entire series, not this entire series, much of this series and much of the last series was all about where is Anthony Davis on defense and how can I, the opponent of Anthony Davis, minimize the impact of his all-consuming presence on defense? That hasn't changed. So guys are going to have four or 15 games, particularly big guys who need people to feed them the ball, who aren't like AD's not an enormous high-volume self-creator out of the post. And then you just sort of like, oh, yeah, he also had 40 in game one. It's like that that game's yeah, gone. But- it's, in the, it's in the trash can immediately when he goes four or 15. He had 40. In the first game of this series two days ago. But Zach, what is more impactful, okay? The 33 points and triple-double and the way Nikola Jokic was as aggressive as perhaps we've ever seen him in those first three quarters or 80s 40 points as they're coming back from down 21 and it's a frantic, like, furious comeback and he's getting a lot of these floaters and everything and coming back. I think... Nicola's statement in those first three quarters was oh, no, no, way no. more impactful uh, because it, it clearly stated right from the get-go, you're not going to be able to stop me. Yes, you might be able to block my shot and stuff me in the paint a couple of times. One-on-one, you are the best so-called elite defender, big man in the league. You are not going to be able to stop me. No, I thought that was that, a massive message he sent. I'm not saying he's been more impactful than Jokic. He hasn't. Yeah. And Jokic is unstoppable there's he's just unguardable one-on-one in the post Anthony Davis can't do it and if Anthony Davis can't do it then they might as well try what they're trying which is where um where is Anthony Davis he's roaming okay we got to figure that out and they haven't yet spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days it's also the best time of year to take a new look at your fitness routine dial it up a notch and continue powering on pelotons varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind whether you'd like to add a 10 minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60 minute power zone ride to increase your endurance peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals they are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps boxing okay full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. With a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. The NFL schedule drops this week, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats experience every touchdown, every tackle, every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code LOW. That's code LOW, L-O-W-E, my last name, the name of this podcast. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats, experience it live.
The rebounding I want to go back to because I thought before the series we might see the Nuggets play around with the matchups just the way the Lakers are and take Jokic off Davis, put him on Vanderbilt if he plays much anymore. We'll see. He did start last game. Maybe put him on Hachimura. They've even played around with putting him on Lonnie Walker here and there. Put Aaron Gordon on AD and put Bruce Brown or KCP, whoever on LeBron, and see if you can survive that. They've done it before. I thought they might try it again. I thought they might try it even last night, particularly when LeBron was off the floor and either Vanderbilt or Hachimura is on the floor with Davis. That would seem like an easy time to switch Jokic onto those guys and Aaron Gordon onto AD because there is no LeBron to worry about against the KCP or whatever. And they're not doing that. And they're not doing that for two reasons. Number one, Jokic is doing fine. Like his defense one-on-one against Davis, he stood him up and said, you're going to have to make floaters over me, and we don't think you can do it enough. His defense on the pick and roll, and the Lakers are running a lot of the LeBron AD pick and roll, and they're mixing up drop coverage, coming up to the level of the screen, depending on how the Lakers are playing. You saw last night, as soon as the Lakers got two straight buckets against the really conservative drop coverage, Schroeder hit a floater, and AD hit a pocket pass floater. They went right back up to touch. So they're going to, and he's largely been fine. He's kept AD in front of him and made AD make short twos, long twos. And the second reason is the rebounding. If you take him out of the paint, you're going to lose the rebounding advantage that you've built. And he may be the best defensive rebounder in the entire NBA. And the bonus of that is not just that the Lakers have nine offensive rebounds in two games, which is like nothing. The other bonus of that is Every time the Lakers try for an offensive rebound and don't get it, and he does, it's five on four the other way, and the Lakers are getting brutalized in transition. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing. You cannot crash boards against the Nuggets. If you saw in game one, Nikola went back to grabbing the rebound and pushing the pace himself. Like in, in the second round against Phoenix, he didn't do that very often. He got the ball out of his hands. This time, if he had the ball in his hands off the rebound, he was pushing it up the court, which I thought was interesting, too. Anthony Davis, yeah, like I, I was expecting AD to really try to take Jokic off the dribble and get to the rim, and I thought he would do it easily, and I thought this was the way that the Lakers could beat the Nuggets because in the first round, Jokic didn't really have to deal with somebody truly inside the paint. Rudy Cobert, he's not that type of guy, really, that's going to overwhelm him. Cat likes to do his damage from the perimeter. Second round, DeAndre Aiden just wanted to stay at the free throw line extended, did not really want to go inside the paint. So now I'm thinking... Oh, this might be the first time. I'm not, we're I'm not sure see. DeAndre Ayton wanted to go inside the arena yeah. in the second round, but that's, but that's Dom- neither here nor there. D- dominating, Zach, dominating. Uh, but like, look, you know, we thought that one of the one of the I think one of the fears of the Denver Nuggets was that AD and LeBron were going to get Jokic into foul trouble. We haven't really seen that yet. Last night they dealt with massive foul trouble, but it was to the perimeter players, KCP, Michael Porter Jr. right off the bat, um, and Christian Brown. So it, it you know. I, I think like the all the things we thought had to go right for the Lakers in the in the first two games has not gone their way. Um AD on Aaron Gordon is a problem the Nuggets haven't quite solved yet. And um and I they they're starting to sniff around solutions. First of all, what one of the things they're doing is just posting Jokic up a lot. He posted up 14 times last night. He got 14 post touches last night. That's his second most in the playoffs. They did not score well out of those plays. And part of the reason is you can see he can back down Hachimura, LeBron. Like there's nothing he those guys can't stop him. The help is coming and 
the help is sometimes a double team and AD lurking around the rim. And the spacing has just been cluttered. He's trying these thread-the-needle passes that aren't quite getting there, but they're getting close. And I think as he sees that defense over and over again, as the Nuggets see it over and over again, they're going to get a little more comfortable um, countering it. And one of the things they did was they turned Aaron Gordon into like a screener in off-ball flex actions and stuff, a back screener, or he's popping off back screens to occupy AD. Get him into the action that way with Jokic facilitating and Murray got a couple dribble handoff threes out of it, that kind of stuff. We saw them use Aaron Gordon as Draymond Green on one possession that was clearly scripted because the minute Jokic touched it, he flung it to the other side of the court for a dribble handoff uh, for Aaron Gordon to be like a facilitator. Um, And they also run this play. I looked it up because I wrote about it. They run this play a lot where they will give Aaron Gordon the ball at the elbow. We haven't seen this at one elbow. Jokic will be at the other elbow. Porter and KCP will be in the corners. So the paint is totally empty of two elite shooters in the corners. And Jokic will set a little rub screen off the ball for Bruce Brown or Murray, who was ever in the game. And either you switch Jokic's guy onto that guard or that guard cuts back door and he's open. And you turn Aaron Gordon into the facilitator. And that play is impossible to guard. And we haven't seen that. I'll bet we'll see a little bit of stuff like that. So I, I think... They're going to figure some things out and the Lakers are going to have some counters. Like, what do you expect? What do you expect from the Lakers in game three? What can they do to write? Because I do think they're going to come roaring out in game three. I think they need an aggressive Anthony Davis to set the tone right from the get go. I'm sticking by that, that if the Lakers are going to win four games, Anthony Davis has to be the best big man on the floor. I don't know if it's possible, but it it has to happen. Um, You know, I. I asked Matt Williams this from our great SIG stats and info department after game one, Zach, about what happens when teams try to put a smaller player on Nikola Jokic to allow a big man to roam like they did with Anthony Davis. And, you know, we think we saw with P.J. Tucker and Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert to a certain extent. And Matt gave me this stat that he said the Nuggets like to run on ball screen actions where Gordon is in the dunker spot doing so 86 times this postseason. This is after game one. And that's tied for third most on-ball screens where a particular player is in the dunker spot in the playoffs. And he says, when using the sequence, the Nuggets have averaged 1.30 points per uh, direct pick, well above the postseason league average of 1.01. And so in game one, they ran four on-ball screens with Gordon in the dunker spot, and it generated eight points when Jokic was matched up with Davis. Once the Lakers switched somebody smaller onto, onto Joker and allowed Davis to roam on the five plays that Gordon was in the dunker spot, um, it didn't generate a single point. So I thought, yeah, they had to move Aaron Gordon around to get Anthony Davis to be out of that paint, do whatever you can. There was one play. I don't think the answer will be putting Gordon in the, on the, and just have him spot up. I think they did that one on one play late in the, late in the fourth quarter. And he missed the three badly. Um, perhaps Michael Porter jr. Is the guy that they can try to get in that position later on. But for the Lakers, I think it's, you know, I think they they can look at this and say, look, we were in those two games. We missed a lot of shots at the end. I don't know how much of altitude plays into that as well with LeBron specifically in the fourth. His leg looks tired. I mean, Zach, I'm actually doing a story, like a, a fun story that's going to run before game five on the Denver altitude. Is it real or is it myth? LeBron says it's real. Um, the, I don't know if you've seen you. You are you're a game ops guy like I am. They lay into it thick in the beginning. So have you watched? 
I don't know how much they show on TV, but in the very beginning, they put this big warning sign on the screen. It's like warning, oxygen levels are low, you know, Denver altitude, you might not, you know, you'll have shortness of breath, could, hypoxia could set in, right? And they do this whole thing for about 25 seconds. And then Kyle Speller, I think that's the PA guy, he then reads off the starting lineup as fast as I've ever seen anyone. It's like, LeBron James, Ford, you know, LeBron James, 23, Anthony Davis, three. He just goes through it in like five seconds. And back and, in the day, they used to have Rocky the Mountain Lion sitting on a beach chair reading a newspaper yes, during the opposing right, yeah, starting yes, labs. Yes. By the way, two minutes remaining. Yes. So did you – so I asked him – I asked the Game Ops uh, – I was talking to one of the Game Ops guys, and I was like, I like that. I like that you read it in like five seconds. And he goes, actually, we only do that because – the whole oxygen level thing takes 25 seconds and we have a total of 30 seconds to really announce the other team. And I go, and I go, Oh, so what are you going to do when the, if you guys get to the finals and it's on TV, they're going to make you guys slow it down. You have to hear their names. And he was like, Oh yeah, they'll give us, you know, they'll probably give us a little extra time, but they actually slowed it down. Now in the Western conference, Finals, you can actually understand the names that he's saying when he does it. But back to the altitude thing, you know, Calvin Booth, kind of wanted the team to lay into this more to mentally try to get into them to so it, it randomly in the fourth quarter during a coaching challenge in game one you hear the announcer during this long wait just go five thousand two hundred eighty feet <laughs> he just says it out of nowhere and kevin garnett said this on the show the other day when he had bones on he was like he's like yeah you know you you hear the announcer saying this while you're in the layup line and i'm like did you just hear that? Did you just hear that? And he says it starts to really mess with your mental. He said you start thinking about shortness of breath and all these things. And I started wondering this in the fourth quarter when LeBron starts taking his threes. And I'm like, you know, he's got to be tired. He's got to be feeling in his legs. And he's making all these little mistakes. And I'm wondering if all these little things might be, you know, having some sort of impact. And this is part of the Denver home court advantage. I can't wait to read that story. <laughs> I love everything about the game ops narrative you just Oh, talked, and you'll I, you'll I, love this. I did ask the game ops guy. I said, "Does Rocky ever feel the altitude especially when he's at the top of the arena, you know, rappelling down and all?" And he goes, "No, cuz Rocky is not human. He's absolutely a monster." Now you're <laughs> saying this, I believe there was one incident when Rocky rappelled down from the arena and like I, I may have passed out while it was it was like a kind of a scary scene. I'm I'm doing this yeah, off the top of my head. You know what? So you there was a right. Rocky mishap at some point. Look it up, people. Yes. So if I'm the Lakers, I don't think I'm starting Vando again. Um I, I don't I don't know. I understand why they're doing it. You put him on yeah. Murray, you can switch um the the Murray Jokic pick and roll, which I think Denver should run more of and will run more of. Uh and just Vando gets into his airspace in a way that the the Lakers guards could not do in game one. He got way too many like easy, just let me stroll into this yeah. long twos in game one. The Nuggets also very smartly realize if Vando's on Jamal Murray, we got to run him through a whole bunch of stuff, through, through a maze of picks because he's a big guy. He's not going to be able to keep up. I think the lineup that they have to ride or die with in this series is Schroeder, Reeves, Hachimura, LeBron, Davis. I think that's their best lineup in the series. Right. I might just go ahead and start it. Hurt feelings be damned. That lineup is plus 15 and 15 minutes in this series, plus 28 in 35 minutes in the playoffs. And 
I get the size with the Rui LeBron Davis trio. And I think size is a big part of why the AD roaming thing works. It's not just AD. It's that they're just big all around. There's a bunch of arms in the paint. They got to win the paint that way. Um, And I can either put Rui on Jamal Murray and do the same kind of switching thing. Or if that's not working, and I don't know if that'll work over a long course of time, you put Dennis Schroeder back in, in that alignment and you put Rui on Jokic, Davis on Gordon and LeBron on Michael Porter Jr. I just think Reeves is a must. Obviously, he's been yeah. phenomenal. I I don't love D'Lo in this matchup. That lineup to me just works, and I might just go ahead and start it if I were the Lakers. That's pretty interesting. Um, I do like the fact that you know Vando was pretty disruptive in their passing lanes at times, doing everything he could to try to disrupt. And then of course they, I think Denver was a little out of sorts in that first quarter because of the foul trouble. I mean, you saw Reggie Jackson come in late in that game. Um, I mean, late in that first quarter. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're on to something when you said at the beginning, like Michael Malone had said this after game one, both teams had to show their hands, perhaps maybe a little earlier than expected. And now the series really starts to see what the adjustments were. But I do feel like the Lakers have had to make more, I'm not, I don't want to say desperation moves, but it certainly has kind of felt like it. Like, hey, we're trying all these different things. I will say this. And I don't know how you feel about whatever the best way you would defend Nikola Jokic. I do think you have to, you know, bring double teams at weird times to kind of throw him off a little bit. But then he he figures it out. You have to get physical with him. You know, I think at some point he gets a little annoyed sometimes. Like last night, you know, I think like LeBron is trying to put is trying to push him out. And at some point, Jokic will act like a smaller defender really shoved him and he goes flying. Right. But after sometimes I feel like sometimes it does get under his skin a little bit. You have to get physical with him and try to bother him because otherwise there's just no stopping him. He figures everything out. You throw it, you send a double team with him. He's going to make the right pass. Well, and the one thing you can't do these one pass away threes they're giving up because the second rotation is not there on time or the second rotation is not made because they don't want to make it. They want the guy to double and then get back. You just can't let KCP and Jamal Murray or Michael Porter Jr. walk into those shots. And then the other thing, too, is like, you know, teams were always trying to say, OK, we understand he he doesn't want to shoot first. He's a pass first guy and he's he doesn't want to be aggressive. It's against his nature. So let's like let's just let him see if he's going to score. Right. And be aggressive. And he's now he's showing it last series. Fifty three points, fifty three points. And then game one, those first three quarters. I mean, I I. I talked to Michael Singer about this, the Denver Nuggets reporter, and I'm like, yo, I don't think I've ever seen Nikola Jokic put the ball on the floor, try to move that fast and be that aggressive that many times that early. We saw two driving dunks, Zach, out of Nikola Jokic. Two. You don't even get two dunks in an entire game, maybe in an entire series sometimes for Nikola Jokic, okay? For him to have two driving dunks in that spin, it was very clear when he he's he is being aggressive. You are going to cover him one-on-one. He is going to take you. I actually think he wasn't aggressive enough last night, and that's yes. one of the reasons their offense hit a rut for about four consecutive minutes late in the game where they almost gagged away that he lead. He still there frustrates were- me like crazy, Zach, when he has that three, and then he pump fakes, and then he decides I'm not going to shoot it. Or then when he finally decides to shoot it, I mean, the dude can shoot threes. Just just let it fly. Like Michael Porter Jr. even said this. He's like, I tell him all the time, just let it fly, man. Get into a rhythm. You know what I mean? Because when he's hitting threes, it opens everything up for them. Um, 
And but but you mentioned the fouls. I mean, that's one thing that's really changed about Jokic in the last two or three years is he. You used to be able to bait him into frustration fouls. He would just slap people in the backcourt after calls and yes. get himself in foul trouble. He never does that. It's anymore. almost like he does that because he wants to stop the play so he can yell at the ref, right? You know what I mean? Well, I remember. I mean, the last time you know, they, two years ago when they played Phoenix, he got thrown out of the last game for like damn near taking campaign's head off. Yeah. Uh, on a frustration foul. So you mentioned Vanderbilt and he was disruptive. One of the reasons why I would try, I, I like that lineup that I mentioned, whether you try starting it or not, that's going to, there's going to be some hurt feelings on, on D'Angelo Russell's part mm-hmm. if you start that group is I think they are, they, they were smartly trying to lean into the LeBron AD pick and roll, particularly in game two, they ran a lot of it um, to test Jokic out, to test the Denver defense out, to see where the soft spots are going to be. And when Vando's on the floor, they just can't get any traction because yeah. no one's guarding him. The whole lane is clogged. Now, that may be the case with Schroeder, too. The, the Nuggets have shown we're not only going to drop back. Normally, the point of a drop back defense, which they did about half the time in game two, is we can stay home everywhere else. The Nuggets, to kind of protect Jokic, will drop back and send help at him in the paint. And they're doing that off Schroeder and to a lesser degree Hachimura, who's been on fire the whole playoffs. All of this has to make the Wizards absolutely sick to their stomachs mm-hmm. to see Hachimura doing this. So maybe Schroeder's, you know, he's a 32% three-point shooter this year. Maybe he's he's not a great fit for that, but I, I like them trying that. I think they should lean even more into it. I, and frankly, a couple of other things. I think AD is leaving some hard rolls to the basket on the table. When he slices hard to the basket, I think he can get behind Jokic or at least parallel with him, maybe draw a foul, maybe get a shot at the rim. And the other thing that's right there for the Lakers, whether it's LeBron or Hachimura from the corner or Schroeder from the outside, when the Nuggets load up their defense like that in the paint, there are backdoor cuts and slot cuts that are sitting there for the Lakers to make, and they're not making them. We've seen LeBron do that. And I think they're going to need to make more of those. So there, there's some stuff. There's some stuff that the Lakers can do. There's also some stuff that the Nuggets can do. Let me ask you this, Zach, because like in the in the second round, it was very clear. Like LeBron did not handle the ball a lot against the Warriors. Right, he played off ball. Whether or not that was like you know to save his legs a little Until bit more. Until he had to. <laughs> right. Until he had to. And so I feel like in this deficit, like last night, there was a point where. You know, because like against Golden State, you didn't even see LeBron bring the ball up as much, right? You know, it was like Austin Reeves or D'Angelo Russell. Last night, there was a point where you could hear we were sitting like right above the 100 level. LeBron James is clapping the ball at Austin Reeves, giving the ball to bring the ball so he can bring the ball up court. He obviously felt the urgency to have the ball in his hands a lot to initiate things like that. And maybe that's what also wore him down in the fourth quarter. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I I think I always like having the ball in LeBron James' hands more to have him initiate, do pick and rolls with AD and stuff like that. But I don't know. Maybe they have to figure out a way to try to save him for the fourth quarters by going back to what they did with Golden State. And I do think the Nuggets, in the last few minutes of the game, decided, come hell or high water, we're not giving you the Jamal Murray switch. If we have to go under, which they should be doing, I think, even more aggressively when he's shooting jumpers like this, we'll go under. If we have to chase you over and have Jamal Murray hedge and get back to his guy, yeah, he might screw that up now and then. He might literally he and Aaron Gordon collided at one point in game one and the and Austin Reeves got a three out of it. We're just not giving you that switch. Um and I think I think that's smart. 
Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate them both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's macy's.com slash gift finder. For the ones who get it done. Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. The other thing, the transition defense, <laughs> I know they're harping on it on, on the broadcast. The one where Hachimura just let Jokic literally walk by him, like the best player on the floor just walks by you into and they're like, oh, he's open under the rim layup. The other one that people should watch, the one that drove me bananas, the Lakers have a fantastic possession with about 6.30 left in the second quarter last night in game two. LeBron speed dribbles it up the floor. Austin Reeves on the left sideline sets a step-up screen for him, and that's when it's that fast and that out of nowhere, you can't, you can't do anything but switch. All your other strategies are taken away by the sheer speed of it. They switch. LeBron, I think I think it was Jamal Murray, backs Jamal Murray down, kick to Reeves on the double team. Reeves shoots a wide open three. Jamal Murray runs out to contest it and leaks out. Reeves is watching his shot. That's, you know, shooters do that. On the other wing, D'Angelo Russell is lifted up to the three-point arc. It's his job to sprint back. You know what he's doing? Instead of sprinting back, first he sees Jamal Murray right in his line of sight. He's making the three-point celebration oh, gesture no. <laughs> on Austin Reeves' behalf and standing still. And Jamal Murray leaks out and gets a dunk when the shot misses. It's like, dude, this is the Western Conference Finals. Save the cool celebrations for Tristan Thompson and the bench mob over there who are doing like, there's like a whole silent movie unfolding with like the pantomiming on the Lakers bench. Save it for them. They got to clean that stuff up because they're just giving Denver. It's not quite that bad because Denver is a really good transition team. They're going to get points. But there's like four to six just free points they're handing the Nuggets every game with just dumb, dumb stuff like that. And look, we, we can talk about the four points that LeBron James gave up missing that dunk in the layup. <laughs> you know what I mean? But, you know, look, with all that being said, Zach, they go home to Los Angeles and that's where role players typically play good. So would it surprise you if D'Angelo Russell, had, I mean, maybe D'Angelo Russell will not have a good game the rest of the series. But this is the time for him to do it in Los Angeles, where he will be in front of his home crowd, where he will feel better. Austin Reeves has been good in flashes. Maybe Austin Reeves will put together a big game for the entire game. I think Anthony Davis, though, it all starts with him. He's got to set the tone. He's got to be aggressive. He's got to take it to Nikola Jokic inside. He's got to try to take him off these pick and rolls. He's got it one-on-one. He's got to not settle for that little fadeaway jumper. I mean, he's good at it, but he's got to take him inside Get Nikola Jokic into foul trouble and punish him at the rim. 
He's got to make Nikola Jokic have to defend guys off the dribble and defend at the rim. Agreed. And that hard roll mm-hmm. I mentioned is one way to do it. Um, the other thing about D'Angelo Russell is defense is just a liability in every series. But in this series, they're going at him pretty aggressively. And I think they actually could go at him more. Like if he's on KCP, they got a couple good looks for KCP on that elbow dribble handoff stuff with Jokic. I'd run, I would just start possessions with the Jamal Murray KCP pick and roll to get the switch and let, let him go to work. So, I know him and Bruce Brown were jabbering. Well, all game how about this? So, so Bruce Brown, after game one, he tells, he just volunteers it. Our goal was to go at D'Angelo Russell. He said, you know, make him move his feet. He he's not that good at defense, but he tries. You know, Bruce Brown. I wanted to, to let you know he does try. <laughs> then after that, Michael Malone comes up, and Malone out of nowhere just says, "Yeah, so you know, we've seen them show their hand, and we showed our hand." He goes, "But one interesting storyline that I've seen is that D'Angelo Russell didn't play in the fourth quarter." And then he tells the media, "That's an interesting storyline to follow for the rest of the series." <laughs> and I'm thinking, like. You clearly are trying to send a message like to get in D'Angelo Russell's head. It was like the Nuggets purposely were just like, D'Angelo, we're coming for you. The Lakers aren't playing you in the fourth quarter. Could this continue? What's going to happen? They were like trying to play mental games with D'Angelo Dissension. Russell. It was amazing. Dissension from within. <laughs> uh, it was It was funny. And by the way, if they put him on Michael Porter Jr., if they put any guard on Michael Porter Jr., there's a reason I said before this series, it's always a Jokic series. But I think more than the previous rounds, it's a Murray and Porter series for Denver. It's because I just thought Murray would get decent matchups that he could exploit. And Porter, if you're going to put small guys on him, if you're going to put D'Lo on him, run his ass around. Get him pinned down three-pointers. And we've seen the Lakers defense kind of break apart when you make their little guys go through multiple screens. They get stuck. They go under. They make mistakes they shouldn't make. And those guys... um, Get open for three. Yeah, the D'Angelo Russell uh, dissension ploy by Michael Malone was uh, was an interesting one. So I think here's here's I'm just going to come out and predict. I don't like to do this because I'll probably be wrong and people will yell at me. I think the Nuggets are getting a split in L.A. I think they can smell it. Um, I think the every other day schedule does the Lakers no favors. I expect the Lakers to come out like gangbusters and win game three and then the and then game four is the whole thing. And maybe not the whole thing because the Nuggets have home court. I just, the way they went to Phoenix and obliterated Phoenix in game six was like, oh, this is a serious team. So I am going to lay my prediction on the line, Ohm. I don't like to do this that much. I think the Nuggets are coming back to Denver up 3-1. I will say this. I thought the same thing going into Phoenix in the second round. And Phoenix won both games in Phoenix. They did. I thought for sure that Denver was going to get one of them in Phoenix. And Devin Booker was incredible. Uh, of course, Matt Ishbia did the little flop, my fellow Spartan against Nikola Jokic. But yeah, I thought for sure Denver was going to get one of them. So I don't know. I wouldn't. It wouldn't surprise me if we came back tied to all. But I do think there's... Oh, no, no, no. It would not surprise... Let me right. be clear. Nothing LeBron James yeah. and Anthony Davis could do would surprise me. They're that good. The Lakers are that good. They have proven their metal and their toughness as a team, their defense is a plus legitimate. Let me be clear. Would not surprise me if they won this series. It wouldn't surprise me. I just said, because it's fun to make predictions every once in a while. I think Denver is going to win a game in Los there Angeles. There is a feeling though. I got this feeling that when LeBron James walked off that floor, by the way, Jamal Murray at one point after he hit this big shot, 
gave a little like LeBron looked at him. LeBron gave him a fist pound as if like, you know, respect. You hit some big shots tonight. I think LeBron walks out of that floor and leaves Denver thinking these guys made the plays to win the game. This team, like I knew this was a tough team. They're tough. When they're going to make shots like that with hands in their faces, what can we do? What can we do to slow down Nikola Jokic? And then on top of that, we got to worry about these guys exploding. Michael Porter Jr. hitting threes. Bruce Brown. You know, all these guys just coming at him in waves. And then he's exhausted on the other end. I, I do think there's a feeling that he left there thinking, okay, yes, he might say, look, this isn't the NCAA tournament. It's not over in one game. It's the first of four. But I think he, I think he was expecting coming in that he, I- they were probably going to steal a game in Denver. I did respect how LeBron and lots of other players do this, and I would do this too if I were a player and I had to kill time in a media session. I liked that LeBron was able to simultaneously kill time in his Q&A and create like a soundbite that was replayed ad nauseum in the last 12 hours simply by explaining the rules of an NBA playoff series (laughs) in the most literal fashion possible. It's like, yeah, you have to win four. We haven't been eliminated yet. So it's usually the first to four that wins, and it's replayed on every TV show as if he said something relevant. It's I admire it because all you want to do is get out of there, like without saying anything inflammatory. So the more time I can waste by just being like, you know, we've still got to win four. We're going home for games three and four. I'm just reciting the schedule of the series, which you guys are all in rapturous attention to what I'm saying. It was I like it. Uh, can I say this too? If they do whatever happens in these next two games in Los Angeles. There's one game in between games, right? The rest of the series. They will have one day to adjust to the altitude of 5280 when they go back for game five. They will have spent, uh, I don't know, let's see, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. So Tuesday, almost five days, four and a half days in Los Angeles and then go back. And I've heard some people when I was doing the story say, there are two trainings, trains of thoughts when you're trying to battle the altitude. Either you show up as early as possible to let your body adapt, or you show up as late as possible and you just play. But like I, I looked at this does one, it, stu- I looked at the study. Doesn't LeBron sleep in like a hot, hyperbaric every chamber? Possible thing to train for this? Doesn't that, he have the altitude simulation at his house? Like you know, maybe everybody, maybe he needs to buy one for everyone else. I asked him, and he said it's like it's like going from the west coast to the east coast or east coast to the west coast, and you're trying to adapt to the time. Your body needs time to adjust. You know, and the one thing I, I asked, um, I talked to the strength and conditioning coach Felipe Eichenberger with the Nuggets, who's a guy who for, really kind of helped reshape Nicole. Jokic's body, right? And by the way, for the people who don't know who that is, look for the big guy behind Denver's bench going absolutely crazy and standing up after every basket. He's incredible. He's massive. So he was saying like he's seen draft workouts where guys almost pass out. They look like they're turning white, you know, due to the altitude. But he did say another impact is that guys can't sleep. They can't sleep in Denver because of the altitude. It kind of messes with their head and their body and things like that. So these are all things that I wonder, you know, if the Lakers are going to have to deal with when they come back for game five. It's just like one more thing they have to worry about, like, like, let alone Nikola Jokic and trying to slow down Jamal Murray. You know, it's and then, of course, like we're going to have the PA announcer being like, you know, uh, danger, warning, low altitude, shortness of breath. What do you you should go the extra mile and be like. Players over 37 years of age are particularly susceptible. Malone said that. 
I asked Malone. About, no, he did not. I asked Malone about the. I go. I go. Hey, you didn't have this in the bubble when you faced the Lakers. Now you're in front of your home court, but you have the altitude, right? Is it real? And he goes. He goes. Yeah, you know, we try to. We want to run. Everybody talks about the Lakers. We're going to try to run. And he goes. And look, LeBron's getting up there in age. Maybe the altitude will have a little more impact. Michael Malone actually said that. He's such a little <laughs> disturber. I love it. Not little. He's just <laughs> disturber. And by the way, I'm glad you said the B word, bubble. Because people who have listened to this podcast for a long time know that before the bubble even happened, I was saying, I don't want to hear any asterisk talk about the bubble. If anything, winning the bubble title, I was saying this before people went to Orlando. If anything, the bubble title may end up being remembered as almost like a a badge of honor in terms of like everybody in the world needed something to watch. It was a horrible time. The conditions were weird. People were lonely psyches were strained and and some team will rise up and some team will not rise up aka the clippers and three years later and i've said consistently do not besmirch the lakers title like i what i've said is if it were any team but the lakers that had won it we would not have all of this bubble revisionism it's just that people who don't like the lakers are bitter that or don't like lebron well, if miami had won that championship would people say ah, oh, that was an asterisk championship I think I they would too. Not, not to the same level, I don't think. I think LeBron the, and the Lakers the bring a, a different. And I've said from the beginning, like, look, I don't want to hear it. That was the only way to do it. Everybody had to do it the same way. Everybody had the same shooting backdrop, backdrops. Everyone had the same no travel. Everyone had the same psychological demons to battle. If you missed your family, if what, whatever, um, if you felt constricted, some teams dealt with it well. Some teams didn't, and I just I'm glad I'm, I'm glad in a way that all four of them being back here has sort of shut that off because I always viewed that as like an equally legitimate title to every other title that's ever been won by any other team, just different but equally legitimate. And, and how about this? People say, "Oh, well, Jamal Murray only was Bubble Murray because oh, you know, the shooting background was probably perfect for shooters. There were no fans to deal with, right? It was like a shooter's heaven." Well, he's still coming up with big time shots and having these massive games for. 20 plus fourth quarters in the playoffs, Zach. Most in NBA history since this was tracked in 1997. Michael Jordan is second with two and Allen Iverson too. Jamal Murray has two more than them. That's crazy. And if you're a Lakers fan, one of the things you might maybe not hang your hat on, but some of those shots Jamal Murray hit last night were like, did he just hit a step back over Anthony Davis and then another one over LeBron James? Yeah. And like, they're kind of contested. Like, how? what's going on here? Yeah, that's why LeBron was like, I think LeBron said, we didn't really have defensive breakdowns. If you look at it, like they were contests. The only thing I will say is like, you know, it's coming though. If you're the Lakers, you know, this is coming. You know that Jamal Murray is going to run around into the paint, run into a body, make you run into a couple bodies, come out, get that handoff from, from Nicola, and he's going to shoot that three. You got to find a way to, to meet him before he gets out there. You know, these places comes. I've seen LeBron James. I've seen him like actually move and try to anticipate where Nicola is going to go. He knows the play that's coming, and yet the Nuggets still score. I wonder if you even start throwing an extra body at him when Jokic is off the floor, because you know that's going to be their main hope when Jokic is off the floor. And by the way, maybe it wasn't a gutsy substitution because Nicola probably needed a rest, but that, like, it was 83 81 Lakers when Jokic, it was technically 82 81 Lakers when he went out of the game because it was between two Hachimura free throws. And then it was 83 81. And that's a show of faith. Like, yeah. our offense without Jokic sucked in the first half, it died. 
we're going to be able to manufacture enough buckets to hang in. They have and to they win paid, those minutes. They pay. They don't have to win them. They just La- have to Lakers, stay. Lakers have, Lakers have. Oh, to the win Lakers the, do. Lakers have the to Lakers win do. But how about this? I saw an NBA today when you showed those three plays that Denver ran in a row. They were the exact same plays. And the last one you showed that Anthony Davis even jumped it right to. He mm-hmm. went to the. LeBron James did the same thing the other night. I watched it. He did the same thing, and yet Denver still scores. They're very good, and the Lakers are very good, and I expect games three and four to be absolute thrillers in L.A. You will be there. I will not be there. I'm jealous. Om Young with Soup, go catch your flight. Thanks Thanks for all your coverage. We will look for the altitude story coming up soon. Breed is Jamal Murray's story that came out, what, a week ago maybe? Uh, Uh, Maybe right before this series? We've rerun it a couple times, but yeah. uh, It's Jamal talking about basically he doesn't want people to think that the bubble was the best of him and that it's a different person. He thinks this, this is just the beginning. No, I said today on Get Up, I'm not calling him Bubble Murray. I'm calling him Bright Lights Murray because he because he brings it on the big stage. Oh, thank you, sir. Go travel. I'll Thanks, talk brother. to you. Okay. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.